CD 9. After the flurry of orders, he sat back and stared at the map. Some things at least made sense. All these barricades looked inward. People were barricading themselves against the palace and the centre of the city. No one would be bothered much about the outside world. If you had to take an outlying part of the city in those circumstances, then the thing to do would be to go in via a gatehouse in the city wall. They might not be quite so guarded as they ought to be. Tom? Yes, Clive? Have you ever sung the national anthem? Oh, lots of times, sir. I don't mean officially. You mean, just to show I'm patriotic? Good gods, no. That'll be rather an odd thing to do, said the captain. And how about the flag? Well, obviously I salute it every day, sir. But you don't wave it at all, the major inquired. I think I waved a paper one a few times when I was a little boy. Patrician's birthday or something. We stood in the streets as he rode by and we shouted, Hurrah! Never since then. Well, no, Clive, said the captain, looking embarrassed. I'd be very worried if I saw a man singing the national anthem and waving the flag, sir. It's really a thing foreigners do. Really? Why? We don't need to show we're patriotic, sir. I mean, this is ank more pork. We don't have to make a big fuss about being the best, sir. We just know. It was a beguiling theory that might have arisen in the minds of Wiglet and Waddy and, yes, even in the not overly exercised mind of Fred Colon, and as far as Vimes could understand it, it went like this. 1. Supposing the area behind the barricades was bigger than the area in front of the barricades, right? 2. Like... Sort of, it had more people in it and more of the city, if you follow me. Three. Then, correct me if I'm wrong, Sarge, but that'd mean, in a manner of speaking, we are now in front of the barricades, am I right? Four. Then, as it were, it's not like we're rebelling, is it? Because there's more of us, so the majority can't rebel, it stands to reason. Five. So that makes us the good guys. Obviously, we've been the good guys all along, but now it'd be kind of official, right? Like, mathematical. Six. So we thought we'd push on to Short Street, and then we could nip down into Dimwell and up the other side of the river. Seven. Are we going to get in trouble for this, Sarge? Eight. You're looking at me in a funny way, Sarge. Nine. Sorry, Sarge. Vimes, with an increasingly worried Fred Colon in front of him, and some of the other barricadiers standing around as if caught in an illicit game of knocking on doors and running away, thought about this. The men watched him carefully in case of explosion. And it actually made a weird kind of logic, if you didn't factor in considerations like real life and common sense. They'd worked hard. It was easy enough to block a city street, heavens knew. You just nailed planks around a couple of wagons and piled it high with furniture and junk. That took care of the main streets, and with enough pushing you could move it forwards. As for the rest, it really hadn't been that hard. There had been lots of small barricades in any case. The lads had simply joined them up, without anyone really noticing. The People's Republic of Treacle-Mine Road now occupied almost a quarter of the city. Vimes took a few deep breaths. "'Fred,' he said. "'Yes, Sarge. Did I tell you to do this?' New Sarge. There's too many alleys, there's too many people, Fred. Colon brightened. Oh, well, there's more coppers too, Sarge. A lot of the lads found their way here. Good lads, too. And Sergeant Dickens, he knows about this stuff. He remembers the last time this happened, Sarge. So he asked every able-bodied man who knew how to use a weapon to muster up, Sarge. There's a lot of them, Sarge. We got an army, Sarge. 
This is how the world collapses, thought Vimes. I was just a young fool. I didn't see it like this. I thought Keel was leading a revolution. I wonder if that's what he thought too. But I just wanted to keep a few streets safe. I just wanted to keep a handful of decent, silly people away from the dumb mobs and the mindless rebels and the idiot soldiery. I really, really hoped we could get away with it. Maybe the monks were right. Changing history is like damming a river. It'll find its way around. He saw Sam beaming among the men. Hero worship, he thought. That sort of thing can turn you blind. Any trouble, he said. Don't think anyone's worked out what's happening here, Sarge. There's been a lot happening round Dolly Sisters and over that way. Cavalry charges and what have you. Hold on, here comes some more. A watchman had signalled from the top of the barricade. Vimes heard the commotion on the other side of the pile. More people running away from Dolly Sisters by the look of it, said Colon. What do you want us to do, Sarge? Keep them out, thought Vimes. We don't know who they are. We can't let everyone in. Some of them will be trouble. The trouble is, I know what's going on out there. The city is a little slice of hell and there's no real safety anywhere. And I know what I'm going to decide because I watch me decide it. I don't believe this. I'm standing over there now, a kid who's still clean and pink and full of ideals, looking at me as if I'm some kind of hero. I don't dare not be. I'm going to make the stupid decision because I don't want to look bad in front of myself. Try explaining that to anyone who hasn't had a couple of drinks. All right, let them through, he said. But no weapons. Pass the word round. Take weapons off, people, said Colon. Think about it, Fred. We don't want unmentionables in here, do we? Or soldiers in disguise. A man's got to be vouched for before he can carry arms. I ain't going to be stabbed in the back and the front at the same time. Oh, and Fred. I don't know if I can do this. Probably it won't last. But as far as I'm concerned, you're promoted to sergeant. Anyone who wants to argue about the extra stripe, tell him to argue with me. Fred Colon's chest, already running to fat, swelled visibly. Right, Sarge. Er, uh, does that mean I still take orders from you? Right, right, right. I still take orders from you, right. Don't move any more barricades. Fill up the alleys. Hold this line. Vimes, you come with me. I'll need a runner. I'm pretty runny, Sarge. Nobby volunteered from somewhere behind him. Then what I want you to do, Nobby, is get out there and find out what's happening now. Sergeant Dickens turned out to be younger than Vimes remembered, but he was still close to retirement. He'd maintained a flourishing sergeant's moustache, waxed to points and clearly dyed, and the proper sergeant shape occasioned by means of undisclosed corsetry. He'd spent a lot of time in the regiments, Vimes recalled, although he came from Plamidos originally. The men found that out because he belonged to some druid religion so strict that they didn't even use standing stones, and they were strongly against swearing, which is a real handicap in a sergeant or would be, if sergeants weren't so good at improvising. He was currently in Welcome Soap, a continuation of Cable Street. And he had the army. It wasn't much of one. No two weapons were exactly alike, and most of them were not, strictly speaking, weapons. Vimes shuddered when he saw the crowd and had a flashback, which was probably a flash-forward, to all the domestic disputes he'd attended over the years. You knew where you were with strictly speaking weapons when they came at you. It was the not-strictly-speaking ones that scared the khaki out of a new recruit. It was the meat cleavers tied to poles. It was the long spikes and the meat hooks. This was, after all, the area of small traders, porters, butchers and longshoremen. And so, standing in raggedy lines in front of Vimes were men who, every day, peacefully and legally, handled things with blades and spikes that made a mere sword look like a girl's hat-pin. There were classic weapons, too, Men had come back from wars with their sword or their halberd. Weapons? 
gods bless you, sir, no, them's mementos. And the sword had probably been used to poke the fire, and the halberd had done duty as a support for one end of the washing line, and their original use had been forgotten. Until now. Vimes stared at the metalwork. All this lot would have to do to win a battle would be to stand still. If the enemy charged them hard enough, he'd come out the other side as mince. "'Some of them are retired watchmen, sir,' Dickens whispered. "'A lot of them have been in the regiments at one time or another, see. "'There's a few kids wanting to see some action, you know how it is. "'What do you think?' "'I'd certainly hate to fight them,' said Vimes. "'At least a quarter of the men had white hair, "'and more than a few were using their weapons as a means of support. "'Come to that, I'd hate to be responsible for giving them an order. "'If I said about turn to this lot, it'd be raining limbs.' "'They're resolute, sir.' "'Fair enough, but I don't want a war.' "'Oh, it won't come to that, sir,' said Dickens. "'I've seen a few barricades in my time. "'It generally ends peaceful. "'The new man takes over, people get bored, everyone goes home, see.' "'But Winder is a nutter,' said Vimes. "'Tell me one that wasn't, sir,' said Dickens. "'Sir,' thought Vimes. "'Or sir, at least. "'And he's older than me. "'Oh, well. "'I might as well be good at it.' "'Sergeant,' he said. "'I want you to pick twenty of the best, "'men that have seen action, men you can trust.' "'and I want them down at Shambling Gate and alert.' "'Dickens looked puzzled. Well, "'That's bad, sir, and it's right down behind us it is. "'I thought maybe—' "'Down at the gate, Sergeant,' Vimes insisted. "'They're to watch for anyone sneaking up to unbar it. "'And I want the guard on the bridges to be strengthened. "'Put down caltrops on the bridge. String wires. "'I want anyone who tries to come at us over the bridge "'to have a really bad time, understand?' "'Do you know something, sir?' said Dickens, with his head on one side. "'Let's just say I'm thinking like the enemy, shall we?' said Vimes. He took a step closer and lowered his voice. "'You know some mystery, Di. "'No one with an ounce of sense goes up against a barricade. "'You find the weakness.' "'There's other gates down there, sir,' said Dickens doubtfully. "'Yes, but if they take shambling, they get into Elm Street "'and have a nice long gallop, right into where we're not expecting them,' said Vimes. "'But you are expecting them, sir.' Vimes just gave him a blank look which sergeants are quite good at deciphering. "'As good as done, sir,' said Dickens happily. "'But I want a decent presence at all the barricades,' said Vimes, "'and a couple of patrols that can go wherever there's trouble. "'Sergeant, you know how to do it.' "'Right, sir,' Dickens saluted smartly and grinned. He turned to the assembled citizenry. "'All right, you shower,' he yelled. "'Some of you has been in a regiment, I know it. "'How many of you knows all the little angels?' A few of the more serious class of mementos rose in the air. "'Very good. Already we as a choir. Now this is a soldier's song, see? You don't look like soldiers, but by the gods I'll see you sounds like em. You'll pick it up as we goes along. Right turn. March. All the little angels rise up, rise up. All the little angels rise up high. Sing it, you songs of mothers.' The marchers picked up the response from those who knew it. How do they rise up, rise up, rise up? How do they rise up, rise up high? Raise heads up, heads up, heads up, sang out Dickens as they turned the corner. Vimes listened as the refrain died away. That's a nice song, said young Sam, and Vimes realised that he was hearing it for the first time. It's an old soldier's song, he said. Really, Sarge, but it's about angels. Yes, thought Vimes, and it's amazing what bits those angels caused to rise up as the song progresses. It's a real soldier's song, sentimental, with dirty bits. As I recall, they used to sing it after battles, he said. I've seen old men cry when they sing it, he added. Why? 
It sounds cheerful. They were remembering who they were not singing it with, thought Vimes. You'll learn. I know you will. After a while, the patrols came back. Major Mountjoy Standfast was bright enough not to ask for written reports. They took too long and weren't very well spelled. One by one, the men told the story. Sometimes Captain Wrangle, who was plotting things on the map, would whistle under his breath. It's huge, sir. It really is. Nearly a quarter of the city's behind the barricades down there. The Major rubbed his forehead and turned to Trooper Gabitas, the last man in and the one who seemed to have taken pains to get the most information. They're all on a sort of line, sir, so I rode up to the one on Hero Street with me helmet off and looking off duty, sort of thing, and I asked what it was all about. A man shouted down that everything was all right, thank you very much, and they'd finished all the barricades for now. I said, what about law and order? And they said, we've got plenty, thank you. No one fired at you? No, sir. Wish I could say the same about around here. People were throwing stones at me, and an old lady emptied a, pis- uh, a utensil all over me from her window. Uh, d- there's something else, sir. Um, out with it, man. I uh, think I recognised a few people upon barricades. Uh, they were some of ours, sir. Vimes shut his eyes, in the hope that the world would be a better place. But when he opened them, it was still full of the pink face of only just Sergeant Colon. Fred, he said. I wonder if you fully understand the basic idea here. The soldiers, that's the other people, Fred, they stay on the outside of the barricade. If they are on the inside, Fred, we don't, in any real sense, have a bloody barricade. Do you understand? Yes, sir, but you want to do a spell in the regiment, Fred, and one of the things I think you'll find they're very hot on indeed is knowing who's on your side and who is not, Fred. But, sir, they are... I mean... How long have I known you, Fred? Two or three days, sir. Ah, right, yeah, of course. Seems longer. So why, Fred, do I arrive here and find you've let in what seems like a platoon? You haven't been thinking metaphysically again, have you? It started with Billy Wiglet's brother, sir, said Colon nervously. A few of his mates came with him, all local lads, and there's a lad Nancy Ball grew up with and a bloke who's the son of Waddy's next-door neighbour who we used to go out drinking with, and then there's... "'How many, Fred?' said Vimes wearily. Sixty, sir. Might be a few more by now.' "'And it doesn't occur to you that they might be part of some clever plan?' "'No, Sarge, it never did, "'cause I can't see Wally Wiglet being part of a clever plan, Sarge, "'on account of him not being much of a thinker, sir. "'They only allowed him to be in the regiment "'after he got someone to paint L and R on his boots. "'See, we know them all, Sarge. "'Most of the lads join up for a bit "'just to get out of the city and maybe show Johnny Foreigner who's boss.' They never expected to have old grannies spitting on them in their own city, Sarge. That can get a lad down, that sort of thing. And getting cobblestones chucked at them too, of course. Vimes gave in. It was all true. All right, he said. But if this goes on, everyone is going to be inside the barricade, Fred. And there could be worse ways of ending it, he thought. People had lit fires in the streets. Some cooking pots had been brought out. But most of the people were engaging in Ankh-Morpork's traditional pastime, which was hanging around to see what would happen next. "'What's going to happen next, Sarge?' said Sam. "'I think they'll attack in two places,' said Vimes. "'The cavalry will go right outside the city and try to come in through the shambling gate, because that'll look easy. And the soldiers and the rest of the watch who aren't on our side will probably creep across Misbegot Bridge under cover.' "'Are you sure, sir?' "'Positive,' said Vimes.' 
After all, it had already happened, or something. He pinched the bridge of his nose. He couldn't quite remember when he'd slept last. Slept, not dozed or been unconscious. He knew his thinking was a little fuzzy around the edges, but he didn't know how the Treacle Mine Road barricade had been broken. It had been only one sentence in the history book, but he remembered it. Sieges that weren't broken via treachery were breached via some small door around the back. It was a fact of history. But it won't be for an hour or two, he said aloud. We're not important enough. It's all been quiet down here. It's when they start to wonder why that the midden will hit the windmill. Lots of people are getting through, Sarge. Some of the men said they could hear screaming in the distance. People are just piling in. There's robberies and everything going on out there. Lance Constable? Yes, Sarge. You know when you wanted to swing a club at that torturing bastard and I stopped you? Yes, Sarge. That's why, lad. Once we break down, it all breaks down. Yes, Sarge, but you do bop people over the head. Interesting point, Lance Constable. Logical and well-made too, in a clear tone of voice bordering on the bloody cheeky. But there's a big difference. And what's that, Sarge? You'll find out, said Fimes, and privately thought, the answer is, it's me doing it. I'll grant that it's not a good answer, because people like Carsey use it too. But that's what it boils down to. Of course, it's also to stop me knifing them, and, let's be frank, them knifing me. That's quite important too. Their walk had brought them to a big fire in the centre of the street. A cauldron was bubbling on it, and people were queuing up, holding bowls. "'Smells good,' he said, to the figure gently stirring the cauldron's contents with a ladle. "'Oh, it's you, Mr... Uh, Dibbler.' "'It's called Victory Stew, Sergeant,' said Dibbler. "'Tuppence a bowl or I'll cut my throat, eh?' "'Close enough.' said Vimes, and looked at the strange, and what was worse, occasionally hauntingly familiar, lumps seething in the scum. "'What's in it?' "'It's stew,' explained Dibbler. "'Strong enough to put hairs on your chest.' "'Yes, I can see that some of those bits of meat have got bristles on them already,' said Vimes. "'Right, that's how good it is.' "'It looks very nice,' said Sam weakly. "'You'll have to excuse the Lance Constable, Mr Dibbler,' said Vimes. "'The poor lad was brought up not to eat stew that winks at him.' He sat down with his bowl and his back against the wall and looked up at the barricade. People had been busy. In truth, there wasn't much else to do. The one here, from side to side of Hero Street, was fourteen feet high and even had a crude walkway. It looked businesslike. He leaned back and shut his eyes. There was a hesitant slurping sound beside him as young Sam tried the stew, and then... "'Is it going to come down to fighting, Sarge?' "'Yes,' said Vimes, without opening his eyes. "'Like, really, fighting?' "'Yep.' "'But won't there be some talking first? "'No,' said Vimes, trying to make himself comfortable. "'Maybe some talking afterwards.' "'Seems the wrong way round.' "'Yes, lad, but it's a tried and tested method.' There was no further comment. Slowly, with the sounds of the street in his ears, Vimes slid into sleep. Major Mountjoy Standfast knew what would happen if he sent a message to the palace. What do I do now, sir, was not something his lordship wanted to hear. It was not the sort of question a major was supposed to ask, given that the original orders had been very clear. Barricades were to be torn down, rebels were to be repelled, grasp the nettle firmly and all that. He had, as a child, grasped nettles firmly, and had sometimes had a hand the size of a small pig. There were deserters behind the barricade. 
Deserters. How did that happen? It was a huge barricade. It was lined with armed men. There were deserters on it, and he had his orders. It was all clear. If only they'd... well, rebel. He'd sent Trooper Gabitas down there again, and by his account it seemed very peaceful. Normal city life appeared to be going on behind the barricade, which was more than you could say for the chaos outside it. If they'd fired on Gabitas, or thrown things, that would have made it so much easier. Instead, they were acting, well, decently. That was no way for enemies of the state to behave. An enemy of the state was in front of the Major now. Gabitas had not come back empty-handed. "'Caught it sneaking after me,' he said. To the captive, he said, "'Been behind the barricade, haven't we, my lad?' "'Can it speak?' said the Major, staring at the thing. "'There's no need to be like that,' said Nobby Nobs. "'It's a street urchin, sir,' said the trooper. The Major stared at all he could see of the prisoner, which was an oversized helmet and a nose. "'Get it something to stand on, will you, Captain?' he said, and waited while a stool was found. It did not, all things considered, improve matters. It just gave rise to questions. "'It's got a watch-badge, trooper. Is it some kind of mascot?' "'Carved it myself out of soap,' said Nobby, "'so I can be a copper.' "'Why?' said the Major. There was something about the apparition that, despite the urgency, called for a kind of horrified yet fascinated study. "'But I'm thinking of going on for a soldier if I grow up,' Nobby went on, giving the Major a happy grin. "'Much better pickings, the way things are going.' "'I'm afraid you're not tall enough,' said the Major quickly. "'Don't see why not. The enemy reaches all the way to the ground.' said Nobby. Anyway, people are lying down when you get their boots off. Old Sconner, he says the money's in teeth and earrings, but I say every man's bound to have a pair of boots, right? Whereas there's a lot of bad teeth around these days, and the false teeth makers always demand a decent set. Do you mean to tell me that you want to join the army just to loot the battlefields? said the Major, completely shocked. A little lad like you? Once, when old Sconner was sober for two days together, he made me a little set of soldiers, said Nobby, and they had these little boots that you could... Shut up, said the Major. Take off, and tiny little wooden teeth that you could... Will you shut up, said the Major. Have you no interest in honour, glory, love of city? Dunno. Can you get much for them, said Nobby. They are priceless. Oh, well, in that case, I'll stick with the boots if it's all the same to you, said Nobby. You can sell them for ten pence a pair if you know the right shop. Look at Trooper Gabitas there, said the Major, now quite upset. Twenty years' service, a fine figure of a soldier. He wouldn't stoop to stealing the boots of a fallen enemy, would you, Trooper? No, sir. Mug's game, sir, said Trooper Gabitas. And this was true. Don't bother with the boots would have been Trooper Gabitas's advice, had he been inclined to part with it. You need to bribe someone on the baggage carts to build up stock, and when all's said and done, you'll only make a few dollars. Stick to jewellery. It's portable. Trooper Gabitas had seen too many battlefields up close to use the word glory without wincing. Er, uh, yes, right, said the Major. You could learn a lot from men like Trooper Gabitas, Master Nobs. By the sound of it, your time with the rebels has filled your head with very wrong ideas indeed. I ain't a rebel, Nobby shouted. Don't you go calling me a rebel. I ain't a rebel. I'm an ank more pork lad I am and proud of it. You are wrong. I've never been a rebel, and you're cruel to say so. I'm an honest lad, I am. Big tears began to run down his cheeks, washing aside the grime to reveal the lower strata of grime beneath. The Major had no experience of this sort of thing, 
Every available orifice on the little lad's face seemed to be gushing. He looked for help to Gabitas. "'You're a married man, aren't you, a trooper? What are we supposed to do now?' "'I could give him a clout alongside the ear, sir,' said Trooper Gabitas. "'That's very unfeeling, trooper. Look here. I had a handkerchief on me somewhere.' Huh, "'I have my own wiper, thank you very much. I don't have to be condescended at,' sniffed Nobby, and pulled one out of his pocket. In fact, he pulled several dozen, including one with the initials CMS on it. They were tangled together like a conjurer's flags of all nations, and dragged with them several purses and half a dozen spoons. Nobby wiped his face with the first one and thrust the entire collection back into his pocket. At this point he realised that all the men were staring at him. "'What? What?' he said defiantly. "'Tell us about this man Keel,' said the Major. "'I don't know nothing,' said Nobby automatically. "'Aha! That means you do know something,' said the Major, who was indeed the sort of person who liked this kind of little triumph. Nobby looked blank. The captain leaned forward to whisper to his superior officer. "'Ah, only under the rules of mathematics, sir,' he said. "'Under the rules of common grammar, he is merely being a fat—' "'Tell us about Keel,' the Major shouted. "'Tell you what, Major, why not leave that sort of thing to the experts?' said a voice. The Major looked up. Carser and his men had entered the tent. The sergeant was grinning again. "'Got yourself a little prisoner, have you?' he said, stepping forward to examine Nobby. "'Reckon you've got a ringleader here, yeah. Told you anything, has he? I shouldn't think so. You need special training to get the best out of lads like this.' <laughs> he slipped his hand into his pocket. When it came out, the knuckles were ringed with brass. "'Now then, lad!' he said as the soldiers watched in horror. "'You know who I am, do you? I'm in the particulars, me, and I can see two of you. One of them's a lively lad who's going to help the proper authorities with their business, and the other is a lippy little bugger who's going to try to be clever. One of these lads has a future, and all his teeth. Now, the funny thing about me, it's a little habit of mine, is that I never ask a question twice. So,' "'You're not a criminal, are you?' Nobby, his eyes huge and fixed on the brass knuckles, shook his head. "'You just do what you have to do to survive, right?' Nobby nodded. "'In fact, you were probably a decent lad before you fell in with the rebels, I expect. Sang hymns and all that,' Nobby nodded. "'This man, who calls himself Sergeant Keel, is the ringleader of the rebels, yes?' There was a moment of hesitation. And then Nobby raised a hand. Um, everyone does what he tells them. Is that the same thing? He said. Yep. Is he charismatic? Nobby kept staring at the brass knuckles. Um, 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 I don't know. I haven't heard him cough much. And what do they talk about beyond the barricade, my little lad? Um, well, justice and truth and freedom and stuff, said Nobby. Aha! "'Rebel talk,' said Carser, straightening up. "'Is it?' said the Major. "'Take it from me, Major,' said Carser. "'When you get a bunch of people using words like that, they're up to no good.' He looked down at Nobby. "'Now, I wonder what I've got in my pocket for a good boy, eh? "'Oh, yes, someone's ear. Still warm. Here you go, kid. "'Gorse, thanks, mister. Now, run a long way away or I'll gut you.' Nobby fled. Carson glanced at the map spread on the desk. "'Oh, you're planning a little sortie. That's nice. 
don't want to upset the rebels, do we? Why aren't you bloody well attacking, Major? Well, they're not. You're losing your troops to them. They hold a quarter of the city, and you're going to sneak around the back, across the bridge I see, and up Elm Street, quiet-like, like you are frightened. Carter's hand smashed down onto the table, making the Major jump. I'm frightened of no man, he lied. You're the city right now, said Carter, a little speck of white foam appearing at the corner of his mouth. They sneak, you don't. You ride right up to them and damn them to hell, that's what you do. They're stealing the streets from you. You take them back. They put themselves beyond the law, you take the law to them. He stepped back, and the manic rage subsided as quickly as it arrived. That's my advice, he said. Of course, you know your own business best. Me and what's left of my poor lads... We're going to go out and fight. I'm sure their lordships will appreciate anything you feel you can do. He strode out, the particulars falling in behind him. Ah, you're right, Clive, said the captain. Only the whites of the Major's eyes were showing. What a horrible man, said the Major quietly. Er, uh, yes, of course. On the other hand... Yes, 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 I know. We have no choice. We have orders. That weasel is right. If the damn thing is there in the morning, I've got no career and nor of you. Show of strength, frontal attack, take no prisoners. That's what our orders are. Stupid, stupid orders, he sighed. I suppose we could disobey, said the captain. Are you mad? And then what would we be? Don't be a fool, Tom. Master the men, get the ox teams hitched up. Let's make a bit of a show for the sake of it. Let's just get it over with. Vimes was shaken awake. He looked up into his own face, younger, less lined, more terrified. What? They're bringing up siege weapons, Sarge. They're coming down the street, Sarge. What? That's stupid. The barricade is highest here. A couple of men could defend it. Vimes leapt to his feet. It must be a feint. A stupid feint, too. Just here, Waddy and his mates had wedged two big carts across the road, and they'd become the nucleus of a solid wall of wood and rubble. But there was a narrow, low entrance for people to come through which let them into the Republic with their head at just the right height for a gentle tap if they turned out to be a soldier. People were scrambling through now like rats. Vimes climbed up the barricade and looked over the top. At the far end of the street a big metal wall was advancing, surrounded by flaming torches. That was all there was to see in a city without lights, but he knew what it was. It was called Big Mary, and it was mounted on a heavy cart. Vimes had seen it before, there would be a couple of oxen behind the cart pushing it. The walls weren't solid metal, but merely a skin to stop defenders throwing fire at the wooden planks underneath. And the whole thing was simply to defend the men who, behind that cosy shelter, had the big, big hooks on the end of the long chains. They'd fix them in the barricade, and the oxen would be turned around in the traces, and maybe another four beasts would be added, and then there was nothing you could build of wood that wouldn't be pulled apart. Between the cart and the barricade, struggling to escape from the crush, was a mass of frightened people. "'You got any orders, Sarge?' said Fred Colon, pulling himself up alongside Vimes. He looked up the street. "'Oh, dear,' he said. "'Yeah, this is when you need a couple of trolls on the force,' said Vimes. "'I reckon the trolls huh, "'Wouldn't work with any trolls,' said Colon. "'Too thick to take orders.' "'You'll find out one day,' thought Vimes, and said aloud, "'Okay.' Anyone that can't or shouldn't have a weapon, they get back as far as possible, right? Get a message to Dickens, tell him we'll need anyone he can spare, but blast it. What had happened before? 
There'd been a lot of activity against the barricades, but it had been a feint while the cavalry were sneaking around outside. He didn't remember this. He glanced at the oncoming wagon. At the top of the wobbling wall, on the other side, there was generally a narrow ledge for bowmen to stand and fire down at anyone trying to interfere with the demolition men. In the treacherous light of the torches, Vimes thought he saw the features of Carsa. Even at this distance there was something horribly recognisable about that expression. Swing was dead, and when everyone's running around in confusion, a man who is firm of purpose can push his way up by sheer nerve. After all, Vimes thought, I did. He clambered down the barricade and looked at the men. I want a volunteer. No, not you, Sam. Wiglet, you'll do. Your dad's a carpenter, right? Well, there's a carpenter's shop around the corner. Run and get me a couple of mallets and some wooden wedges or long nails. Something spiky. Go, 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 go. Wiglet nodded and ran off. And let's see, yeah, I need two pennyworth of fresh ginger. Nancy Ball, nip around the corner to the apothecary, will you? What's that any good for, Sarge? said Sam. Gingering things up. The Vimes removed his helmet and armour and nodded to the gap through which people were streaming. Fred, we'll be going out that way. Think you can push us a path? He'll give it a go, Sarge. Fred squared his shoulders. We're going to stop that thing. They can't move it fast, and with all this noise and confusion, no one will notice a thing. That was quick, Billy. I just grabbed everything, Sarge, panted Wiglet, running up with a small sack. I know what you want to do, Sarge. I did it sometimes out of mischief when I was a kid. Me too, said Vimes. And here's my ginger. Ah, lovely. It brings tears to my eyes. OK, Billy, ready, Fred. It took all of Colon's bulk, with Vimes pushing behind him, to thrust a way through the desperate mob into the world beyond the barricade. In the darkness, Vimes forced his way between the bodies up to the side of the siege machine. It was like a huge, slow ram pushing its way down the streets, but jerking forward slower than a walking pace because of the press of people. Vimes fancied that Carser probably enjoyed this ride. He ducked under the cart, unseen in the mob, and grabbed a mallet and a wedge from Wiglet's bag. You did the left rear wheel, and then make a run for it, Billy, he said. But, Sarge, that was an order. Get out, get back, get people off the street as fast as possible, do it. Vimes crawled up to one of the front wheels and held the wedge ready between wheel and axle. The cart stopped for a moment, and he thrust the wedge into the gap and thumped it with the hammer. He had time for another blow before the cart gave a creak that suggested the oxen were pushing again. Then he crawled back quickly and took the sack from Billy before the little man, with a reluctant glance, scuttled out into the forest of legs. Vimes got a third wedge in before loud voices somewhere behind him indicated that the lack of progress had been noticed. The wheels rocked and bound even further on the wedges. The wheels would have to come off before they could be got out. Even so, oxen were powerful beasts. Enough of them would have no problem at all in dragging the cart as well as the barricade. And the nice thing... The nice thing was that people thought of a barricade as something people tried to get into, not out of. Vimes slipped out into the noisy, confusing night. There were soldiers and watchmen and refugees, all cursing at cross-purposes. In the flickering shadows, Vimes was just another shape. He pushed his way confidently around to the straining oxen and their driver, who was prodding them with a stick. He was heartened by the fact that the man looked the kind of man who'd get six out of ten when answering the question, what is your name? Vimes didn't even stop. The important thing was not to let the other person have a chance to say, but, let alone, who the hell do you think you are? He pushed the man aside and glared at the sweating beasts. Ah, right, I see your problem right here, he said, in the voice of one who knows everything there is to know about oxen. They've got the glaggies, but we can fix that. Hold up that one's tail. Hurry up, man. The ox poker responded to the voice of authority. 
Vimes palmed a lump of ginger. Here goes, he thought. At least it's somewhere warm on a cold night. OK, now the other one. Right. OK, now I'll just go around and... Uh, just go around, said Vimes, hurrying back into the shadows. He shouldered his way through the throng and dived through a tiny hole. "'It's all right, Sarge. I spied you coming through Mrs. Rutherford's dining-room chairs,' said Fred Colon, hauling him upright. "'Well, you stopped it, Sarge, no mistake. You really... Uh, "'Yeah, don't shake hands with me until I've had a wash,' said Vimes, heading for the pump. He kept an ear cocked for any strange noises on the other side of the barricade. There were none for several seconds, and then he heard it. Nothing much had happened for some while after his visit to the oxen, except that, very slowly, their eyes had begun to cross and then, also quite slowly, turn red. It takes a long time for anything to happen inside the head of an ox, but when it does, it happens extensively. The moo started off low and rose slowly. It was a visceral sound that had rolled across the ancient tundra and told early man that here came dinner or death, and either way it was pissed. It was the sound of a big beast that was still too small to restrain all the emotions that were welling up inside it and it was a duet. Vimes, hauling himself up the barricade, saw people running. Then the whole of Big Mary shuddered. That didn't look too impressive unless you knew that a couple of tons of wood had just jumped sideways. Then there was the sound of splintering. Two of Big Mary's locked wheels collapsed, and she toppled sideways in a mass of flame, splinters, smoke and dust. Vimes counted under his breath, and had only reached two when a cartwheel rolled out of the smoke and away down the road. This always happens. It wasn't over, though. The oxen, tangled in the remains of the shafts and harness, and now an enraged joint creature that could only get six legs out of eight on the ground, headed erratically but with surprising speed in the opposite direction. The other oxen, which had been waiting for the big pull, watched it approach. They were already spooked by the crash, and now they caught the stink of terror and fury and began a slow stampede away from it and towards, as it turned out, the waiting bowmen behind them, who in turn tried to run into the cavalry. The horses were not inclined to be well behaved towards armed men in any case, and were also in a state of some apprehension. They relieved this by kicking the hell out of anyone close. It was hard for the watchers along the barricade to see much of what happened after that, but the noises were very interesting for quite some time. Sergeant Colon's mouth shut. "'Bloody hell, Sarge,' he said admiringly. In the distance, glass shattered. "'They'll be back,' said Vimes. "'Yep, yeah, but not all of them,' said Wiglet. "'Well done, Sarge.' Vimes turned and saw Sam staring at him in wide-eyed hero worship. "'I was lucky, lad,' he said. "'But it helps to remember little details and not mind getting your hands dirty.' "'But we could win now, Sarge.' said Sam. No, we can't, but we can put off losing until it doesn't hurt too much. Vimes turned to the others. Right, lads, back to work. We've had some fun, but dawn's a long way off. The news had got around even before he'd climbed down from the barricade. There was a cheer from the crowd and a general struttiness about the armed men. We'd shown them, eh? They don't like the taste of cold steel, those, um, other people from Ank Morpork. We'll show them, eh? and it had taken a few wedges, some raw ginger, and a lot of luck. That wouldn't happen twice. Maybe it didn't need to. He remembered hearing about the assassination. It was all very mysterious. Winder had been killed in a room full of people, and no one saw a thing. Magic had been suggested and hotly denied by the wizards. 
Some historians had said that it happened because troops around the palace had been sent out to attack the barricades, but that didn't answer the question. Anyone who could stab a man to death in a brightly lit room full of people surely wouldn't find some guards in the darkness any kind of obstacle. Of course, with Snapcase as new patrician, no one had tried very hard to establish the facts in any case. People said things like, quite possibly we shall never know the truth, which meant, in Vimes' personal lexicon, I know, or I think I know what the truth is, and hope like hell it doesn't come out because things are all smoothed over now. Supposing we don't lose. Keel hadn't killed Big Mary. She hadn't been used in the other present. The soldiers hadn't been stupid enough to try it. That sort of thing was okay to deal with little local affairs manned by civilians, but it was a joke if you put it up against stout defences manned by professionals. Now she was a wreck. The attackers would have to think of a new plan in a hurry, and time was moving on. Supposing we don't lose. All they had to do was hold out. The people at the top had very short memories. Winder is mysteriously dead, long live Lord Snapcase. And suddenly, all the rebels become glorious freedom fighters, and there's seven unfilled graves in the cemetery. Would he be able to go back then? Supposing Madam was right and he got offered the post of commander, not as a bribe, but because he'd earned it. That'd change history. He took out the cigar case and stared hard at the inscription. Let's see, he thought. If I never met Sybil, we wouldn't get married, and she wouldn't buy me this, and so I couldn't be looking at it. He stared hard at the curly engraving, almost willing it to disappear. It didn't. On the other hand, that old monk had said that whatever happens, stays happened. And now Vimes had a mental picture of Sybil and Carrot and Detritus and all the rest of them, frozen in a moment that would never have a next moment. He wanted to go home. He wanted it so much that he trembled at the thought. But if the price of that was selling good men to the night, if the price was filling those graves, if the price was not fighting with every trick he knew, then that was too high. It wasn't a decision he was making, he knew that. It was happening far below the areas of the brain that made decisions. It was something built in. There was no universe anywhere where a Sam Vimes would give in on this, because if he did, then he wouldn't be Sam Vimes any more. The writing stayed on the silver, but it was blurred now because of the tears welling up. They were tears of anger, mostly at himself. There was not a thing that he could do. He hadn't bought a ticket, and he hadn't wanted to come, but now he was on the ride and couldn't get off till the end. What else had the old monk said? History finds a way. Well, it was going to have to come up with something good, because it was up against Sam Vimes now. He glanced up and saw young Sam watching him. You OK, Sarge? Fine, fine. Only you've been sitting there for twenty minutes, looking at your cigars. Vimes coughed and tucked the case away, and pulled himself together. Half the pleasure's in the anticipation, he said. The night wore on. News came through from barricades at bridges and gates. There were forays, more to test the defenders' strength of will than to make a serious dent in the defences. And there were more deserters. One reason for the desertion rate was that those people of a practical turn of mind were working out the subtle economics. The Republic of Treaclemine Road lacked all the big, important buildings in the city, the ones that traditional rebels were supposed to take. It had no government offices, no banks and very few temples. It was almost completely bereft of important civic architecture. All it had was the unimportant stuff. It had the entire slaughterhouse district, and the butter market, and the cheese market. 
It had the tobacco factors and the candle makers and most of the fruit and vegetable warehouses and the grain and flour stores. This meant that while the Republicans were being starved of important things like government, banking services and salvation, they were self-sufficient in terms of humdrum everyday things like food and drink. People are content to wait a long time for salvation, but prefer dinner to turn up inside an hour. "'A present from the lads down to shambles, Sarge,' said Dickens, arriving with a wagon. "'They said it'd only spoil otherwise. Is it okay to dish them out to the field kitchens?' "'What have you got?' said Vimes. "'Steaks, mostly,' said the old sergeant, grinning. "'But I liberated the sack of onions in any mother revolution.' He saw Vimes's expression change. "'No, Sarge, the man gave them to me, see. They needed eating,' he said." "'What did I tell you? Every meal will be a feast in the People's Republic,' said Red Shoe, striding up. He still hung on to his clipboard. People like Reg tend to. "'If you could just take it along to the official warehouse, Sergeant.' "'What warehouse?' Reg sighed. "'All food must go to the common warehouse and be distributed by my officials according to—' "'Mr. Shoe,' said Dickens. "'There's a cart with five hundred chickens coming up behind me, and there's another full of eggs. There's nowhere to send them, see?' "'The butchers have filled up the ice-houses and smoke-rooms, "'and the only place we can store this grub is in our guts. "'I ain't particularly bothered about officials.' "'On behalf of the Republic, I order you,' Reg began, "'and Vimes put his hand on his shoulder. "'Off you go, Sergeant,' he said, nodding to Dickens. "'A word in your ear, Reg.' "'Is this a military coup?' said Reg, uncertainly, holding his clipboard. "'No. It's just that we're under siege here, Reg. "'This is not the time.' Let Sergeant Dickens sort it out. He's a fair man. He just doesn't like clipboards. But supposing people get left out, said Reg. There's enough for everyone to eat themselves sick, Reg. Reg Shoe looked uncertain and disappointed, as though this prospect was less pleasing than carefully rationed scarcity. But I'll tell you what, said Vimes. If this goes on, the city will make sure the deliveries come in by other gates. We'll be hungry then. "'That's when we'll need your organisational skills.' "'You mean we'll be in a famine situation?' said Reg, the light of hope in his eyes. "'If we aren't, Reg, I'm sure you could organise one,' said Vimes, and realised he'd gone just a bit too far. Reg was only stupid in certain areas, and now he looked as though he was going to cry. "'I just think it's important to be fair,' the man began. "'Yeah, Reg, I understand. But there's a time and a place, you know. Maybe the best way to build a bright new world is to peel some spuds in this one.' Now off you go. And you, Lance Constable Vimes, you go and help him. Vimes climbed back up the barricade. The city beyond was dark again, with only the occasional chink of light from a shuttered window. By comparison, the streets of the Republic were ablaze. In a few hours the shops out there were expecting deliveries, and they weren't going to arrive. The government couldn't sit this one out. A city like Ankh-Morpork was only two meals away from chaos at the best of times. Every day, maybe a hundred cows died for Ankh-Morpork. So did a flock of sheep and a herd of pigs, and the gods alone knew how many ducks, chickens and geese. Flour? He'd heard it was eighty tonnes and about the same amount of potatoes and maybe twenty tonnes of herring. He didn't particularly want to know this kind of thing, but once you started having to sort out the everlasting traffic problem, these were facts that got handed to you. Every day, forty thousand eggs were laid for the city. Every day, hundreds... Thousands of carts and boats and barges converged on the city with fish and honey and oysters and olives and eels and lobsters. And then think of the horses dragging this stuff, and the windmills, and the wool coming in too every day, the cloth, the tobacco, the spices, the ore, the timber, the cheese, the coal, the fat, the tallow, the hay, every damn day. And that was now. 
Back home, the city was twice as big. Against the dark screen of night, Vimes had a vision of Ankh-Morpork. It wasn't a city. It was a process. A weight on the world that distorted the land for hundreds of miles around. People who'd never see it in their whole life nevertheless spent their life working for it. Thousands and thousands of green acres were part of it. Forests were part of it. It drew in and consumed, and gave back the dung from its pens and the soot from its chimneys and steel and saucepans and all the tools by which its food was made, and also clothes and fashions and ideas and interesting vices, songs and knowledge, and something which, if looked at in the right light, was called civilization. That's what civilization meant. It meant the city. Was anyone else out there thinking about this? A lot of the stuff came in through the Onion Gate and the Shambling Gate, both now Republican and solidly locked. There'd be a military picket on them, surely. Right now there were carts on the way that would find those gates closed to them. Yet no matter what the politics, eggs hatch and milk sours and herds of driven animals need penning and watering, and where was that going to happen? Would the military sort it out? Well, would they? While the carts rumbled up, and then they were hemmed in by the carts behind, and the pigs escaped and the cattle herds wandered off? Was anyone important thinking about this? Suddenly, the machine was wobbling, but Winder and his cronies didn't think about the machine, they thought about money. Meat and drink came from servants. They happened. Vetinari, Vimes realised, thought about this sort of thing all the time. The Ankh-Morpork back home was twice as big and four times as vulnerable. He wouldn't have let something like this happen. Little wheels must spin so that the machine can turn, he'd say. But now, in the dark, it all spun on Vimes. If the man breaks down, it all breaks down, he thought. The whole machine breaks down, and it goes on breaking down, and it breaks down the people. Behind him, he heard a relief squad marching down Hero Street. How do they rise? They rise knees up, knees up, knees up. They rise knees up, knees up high. All the little angels. For a moment, Vimes wondered, looking out through a gap in the furniture, if there wasn't something in Fred's idea about moving the barricades on and on, like a sort of sieve, street by street. You could let through the decent people and push the bastards, the rich bullies, the wheelers and dealers in people's fates, the leeches, the hangers-on, the brown-nosers and the courtiers and smarmy, plump devils in expensive clothes, all those people who didn't know or care about the machine but stole its grease, push them into a smaller and smaller compass and then leave them in there. Maybe you could toss some food in every couple of days, or maybe you could leave them to do what they've always done, which was live off other people. There wasn't much noise from the dark streets. Vimes wondered what was going on, he wondered if anyone out there was taking care of business. Major Mountjoy Standfast stared empty-eyed at the damn, damn map. How many, then? he said. Thirty-two men injured, sir, and another twenty probably desertions, said Captain Wrangle. And Big Mary is firewood, of course. Oh, gods! Do you want to hear the rest, sir? There's more. I'm afraid there is, sir. Before the remains of Big Mary left Hero Street, sir, she smashed twenty shop windows and various carts, doing damage estimated at... Fortunes of war, Captain, we can't help that. No, sir, the captain coughed. Do you want to know what happened next, sir? Next? There was next, said the Major. Um, yes, sir. Quite a lot of next, actually, sir. Um, 
The three gates through which most of the agricultural produce comes into the city are picketed, sir, on your orders, so the carters and drovers are bringing their stuff in along Short Street, sir. Fortunately, not too many animals at this time of night, sir, but there were six miller's wagons, one wagon of um, dried fruits and spices, four dairyman's wagons and three heggler's carts, all wrecked, sir. Those oxen really were very feisty, sir. Heglers? What the hell are Heglers? said the Major, bewildered. Egg marketers, sir. They travel around the farms, pick up the eggs. Yes, all right. And what are we supposed to do? We could make an enormous cake, sir. Tom! Sorry, sir. But the city doesn't stop, you see. It's not like a battlefield. The best place for urban fighting is right out in the countryside, sir, where there's nothing else in the way. It's a bloody big barricade, Tom. Too well defended. We can't even set fire to the damn thing. It'd take the city up with it. Yes, sir. And the point is, sir, that they're not actually doing anything, sir, except being there. What do you mean? They're even putting old grannies up on the barricades, shouting down to the lads. Poor Sergeant Franklin, sir, his granny saw him and said that if he didn't turn it up, she'd tell everyone what he did when he was eleven, sir. The men are armed, aren't they? said the Major, wiping his forehead. Oh, yes. But we've kind of advised them not to shoot unarmed old ladies, sir. We don't want another Dolly Sisters, do we, sir? The Major stared at the map. There was a solution, he felt. Well, what did Sergeant Franklin do when he was, um, he said absent-mindedly. She didn't say, sir. A sudden feeling of relief stole over the Major. Captain, you know what this is now. I'm sure you'll tell me, sir. I will, Tom, I will. This is political, Tom. We're soldiers. Political goes higher up. You're right, sir. Well done, sir. Dig out a lieutenant who's been a bit slack lately and send him up to tell their lordships, said the Major. Isn't that a bit cruel, sir? Of course it is. This is politics now. End of CD 9